You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. As you worship the Lord, as you get closer and closer and closer and closer to Him, as you confess your sins to Him, as you confess your sins one to another, as you pray, He begins by the Holy Spirit to show you things that are coming between He and you. And He asks you, He doesn't force you, He asks you to rid yourself of these things. Have you ever felt convicted to give something up in order to go deeper in your walk with Jesus? Today, Pastor Dave teaches about how sometimes the Lord asks you to sacrifice things in your life that are distracting you from pursuing Him. Will you stay stuck in your habits or go all in to follow Jesus? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 as he continues his message, Does the Devil Know Your Name? We're not told what the Sifka was of chief priest of. There was no high priest in Jerusalem by this name, but some scholars note that it's not uncommon for some of the members of the Zadokite clan to take on an unofficial high priestly role. This may explain who this person is. More than likely, he was just one of these vagabond priests going around exercising for profit. But his sons were calling out demons from people in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. You might be confused about who these people were. Well, you're not alone on this. Let's look at verse 15. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? I love this. This is, this is probably one of my many favorite verses in the Bible because I just love this. Who are you? The demon says. This is an interesting usage of the Greek word to know. Very interesting usage here. We see two different forms of the verb to know. Jesus, I know, he says. That's the word gnosko. That means to know absolutely. Like we stated earlier, Jesus is well known by Satan and his demons. They absolutely knew who he was and who he is, and they've even called him the son of the most high God. You can read in Luke 8.28 and Mark 5.7 almost the exact words. This demon, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to you with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So, this verb means to know absolutely. The spirits knew absolutely who Jesus was. The other usage here, when they said, Paul I know, is a word in the Greek, it's called Epistamahi. It means to know or comprehend by association. In other words, the spirits knew of Paul because of his association with Jesus. That's how come the spirits knew who he was. The spirit was acquainted with Paul because Paul belonged to Jesus. They knew that Jesus had given Paul the authority to cast out demons in his name. Paul was one of Jesus's, but they didn't know the sons of Sifka. Uh-oh. 
What happens next is a clear statement to me that the Lord has a sense of humor. Dr. Luke has a sense of humor too, and he likes to add a little levity to stories because he records this perfectly for us in this bizarre incident. It's one of the most bizarre incidents in Scripture. Look at 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These guys were trying to make a fast buck off the name of Jesus. The spirit leaps on them. The spirit beats the snot out of them, tears their clothes, rips their clothes off, and they run away nude and hurting and wounded. Can you imagine standing there talking to someone and all of a these seven guys run by naked and they're yelling and screaming and hollering and they're all beat up and bloodied? What a sight. You can come against the devil you want in your own strength. Go ahead, be my guest. But it will be very disastrous for you. It can leave you naked and hurting. You know, Satan is a lion. We're told he's a lion. He's an adversary. He roars like a lion. But he's been disarmed, and he's been made a spectacle of at the cross of Jesus Christ. He has been completely disarmed, and he has been made a spectacle of at the cross of Jesus Christ. You can find that in Colossians 2.15. But the sound of his roar and his deceptive lies are still very potent. And he does have the power to devour souls and rob Christians of their effectiveness. And we need to be very careful of. Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is our adversary. You may hear many people say to you, just rebuke him. Just rebuke him and leave you alone. Where in Scripture does it say that we're supposed to rebuke Satan? I mean, Michael, the archangel, didn't rebuke him when he fought with him. What did Michael the archangel say? The Lord rebuke you. Not I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. What does Scripture say we're supposed to do when Satan comes around? Well, Peter says we're supposed to resist. We're supposed to be steadfast in our faith, and we're supposed to resist the devil and flee, the Scripture says. The secret of spiritual warfare is simple. Steadfast resistance. As we're steadfast in our faith, we resist the devil's lies and his threats and his intimidation. Listen to what David Guzik says. Significantly, Peter doesn't tell us to cast out demons. He simply challenges individual Christians to deal with Satan as a conquered foe who can and must be personally resisted. Remember, he is conquered. He is conquered. The only power he has is the power that you give him. He is a conquered foe. The word resist in the Greek means two things, stand and against. Peter tells us to stand against the devil's wiles. You know, Satan can be sent scurrying with his tail between his legs by the lowest of Christian who is standing firm in their faith. You don't have to be a mighty, mighty man of valor. You have to have some faith. If a believer comes in the authority of Jesus, that what Jesus did on the cross, and what did Jesus do on the cross? What was Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. That's our battle cry when it comes to Satan. It's our battle cry. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. Satan's been defeated. Satan thought he won a great victory with these sons of Sevica by sending them away naked and hurting. He thought he won a great time. He said, woo, he was probably all happy with himself. And these spirits were probably rejoicing because they showed the world. We're going to show you. We can take care of you. But the Lord prevailed. Look what happens in verses 17 and 19. 
This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Look at the results. Not quite what Satan had planned. A revival takes place. And what a revival it is. The first thing you see is great fear. Great fear upon. This wasn't a shaking, quaking, although it may have been. They were in reverent fear of the Lord. They were in reverent fear of what was going on. And this reverent fear led to the next thing. They magnified the Lord's name. They magnified the Lord's name. They were worshiping. The Greek word here for magnify means to declare his greatness. Isn't this what the Israelites were doing on the other side of the Red Sea? They were praising God for his wonderfulness. They were praising God for his deliverance. That's what's happening here. They're praising God. Psalm 34 verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what we need to do. You want to defeat Satan? Let's have a worship service. Let's all get together and worship God and praise him and and tell him we love him. That'll defeat him more than anything. Let us show that reverence all we have for God and that fear. Because what does that fear of the Lord do? It leads us to wisdom, the wisdom of him, the wisdom of salvation. So there was great fear. And they magnified the Lord. They were worshiping. And this is what they were having. They were having a worship service. But as they were worshiping the Lord, something else happened. Something else happened that was mighty. They began to confessing and telling each other their deeds. They began to confess their sins one to another. I'm sure they were going around asking for forgiveness. I'm sorry I did this to you. Please forgive me. They were confessing their sins. They're worshiping one moment, and then all of a sudden they're spontaneous telling each other they're sorry and trying to make up with each other and confessing their sins one to another. Talk about a movement of the Spirit. James 5 verse 16 says this, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What a wonderful time they were having. Can you imagine this group? Worshiping God. Praying with each other. Telling each other their hurts. Telling each other their pain. Telling each other their deeds that they've done. Confessing one to another. And finally, as the spirit begins to move, they're convicted. And there's conviction. And what do they do? They go back to their houses. They collect all these things, these magical art things and all this stuff that they did, all this mysticism stuff. They got their Ouija board and they got all this other stuff that they got and they brought it out and they put it in a pile and they burn it. That's oneness in the Lord. That's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord does when you are worshiping him, when you are in all of him, when you're confessing your sins, the spirit moves in your life, and when there's prayer, you start looking around, and the Lord starts pointing out, that's coming between you and me, get rid of it. I don't like that in your life, get rid of it. And you start taking these things, why? So that you can get closer to him. The Lord did that very, very thing in my life. Before I got saved, I had a liquor cabinet. Oh boy, and it was well stocked too. It was a nice liquor cabinet. There was almost a little bit of everything in there. And it sat there for a long time. And after I got saved, I still had it. It still was there. And I thought nothing of it. I didn't think it was anything problem. And it wasn't. Hey, you might have one. It's not a big deal to you. But the Lord showed me, me. One day I was sitting right beside it. And I was reading his word. And I got this huge conviction. I looked around. I said, what are you convicting me about, Lord? What's going on here? Oh, my gosh. For some crazy reason... 
I wasted hundreds of dollars because, like I said, it was well stocked. I got up and poured all those things down the drain for some reason. But I know that that's what the Lord was showing me to do. That's what these guys are doing. These guys are doing this because the Lord showed them to do that. I don't want you to do anything that the Lord doesn't show you to do, okay? The Lord works in each of us differently. He works in our lives different ways. But that's what he showed me to do, and I did that. And that's what he showed these guys to do. We didn't talk about this, but Ephesus was a huge place for the occult. It was a very, very big place for the occult. I mean, and it was a place for sexual prostitution. They had the Temple of Diana was there. It was a wild place. And all of a sudden, all these people are being convicted in their heart, and they're going to their homes, and they're bringing all this stuff out. And then somebody says, let's get rid of the books that, that talk about the occult. Let's get rid of the books that talk about the spells and the magic potions. And they got all those out of there. They have this huge bonfire with all this stuff. They burned all this stuff because what they were doing was they were ridding themselves of things that were getting between them and God. As you worship the Lord, as you get closer and closer and closer and closer to him, as you confess your sins to him, as you confess your sins one to another, as you pray, he begins by the Holy Spirit to show you things that are coming between he and you. And he asks you, he doesn't force you, he asks you to rid yourself of these things. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes he asks you to do these things. He never forces you. Let me make that clear. He doesn't force you to do these things. Sometimes he does that. And he asks you to rid these things of yourself, things that are contrary to him. We need to be ever aware when the Lord speaks to our heart about these things, and then we need to take it on ourselves to do those things. They worshiped the Lord. They magnified his name. They confessed their sin. They became one. They became united. They prayed for each other. Healing took place. There was one more result. Look at verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Not only did it grow mightily, but it prevailed. And the Greek word used here for prevailed means it became a force to be reckoned with. The word of God became a force to be reckoned with. The word of God is strong. We've had this scripture many times, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of the Lord is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God grew. It went mightily around. Why is that so important? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. As they drew together, the word of God became huge in their life. And they did these things. And I still have habits that I do that I know that the Lord would love me to see me get rid of. And he's working on me at those times. But when the Lord calls us and asks us to do those things, by faith we obey. And they're only going to bring blessings. It's only going to bring blessings. So I have to ask the question one more time. Does the devil know your name? If so, fear not. 
Fear not, resist him. Be steadfast in your faith. You have the mightiest tool ever for defeating the devil, the word of God. Remember what Jesus said against Satan? The word of God. Three times he quoted the word of God. You have the word of God. If you want to see Satan defeated in your life, resist him. Worship and magnify the Lord. Confess your sins and pray. Fellowship with each other. Get strong in God's word. Know God's word. Memorize it. Allow it to become your life. Allow God's word to become your life. When the devil comes at you, come back at him with the word of God. When the devil comes at you, and he will come. He comes as an angel of light. He doesn't come as somebody that you think, oh, there's the devil. No, he comes as an angel of light. A pastor once explained to me the Christian walk this way. Pretty interesting. He said, life is like an escalator going down. It takes no effort to follow it down to your ultimate destruction. When you become a Christian, you must turn around and start walking up that escalator. Have you ever done that? As a kid, turn around and try to walk up the escalator? He said, that's what the Christian life is like. You're walking up the escalator, and it's a struggle. And if any time you stop pumping your arms and walking, what happens? You go down. You backslide. Pretty interesting analogy. Jesus is standing at the top of the escalator saying, come on, you can do it. Come on up here. Unfortunately, we're going in the opposite direction of Satan, and we're going to come across him face to face. But if we keep our eyes focused on who's the top of the escalator, Jesus Christ, we can get up there. He said in John 16, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. Christ has defeated Satan. In him we have peace. In him we have life. In him we have everlasting. Why would you want to move away? Why would you want to stop walking and go down the escalator? Why wouldn't you want to keep going until you get to the top finally? And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. So does the devil know your name? If not, why not? Why wouldn't we want to live a life that alarms the enemy? Why wouldn't we want to live a life that makes him crazy? Why wouldn't we want to drive him nuts by our faith, by the hope we have in Jesus Christ, by our behavior that exudes Jesus Christ in our life? Why wouldn't we want to do that? I love making him crazy. I love driving him nuts because he drives me crazy. I've been around here this morning to watch him work. Oh, my gosh. You want to ever see him at work? Just come and watch worship practice. You want to see the Satan at work? Just come and watch. Holy mackerel. He doesn't want us to worship him. He doesn't want us to magnify the Lord. He doesn't want us to cry about the name of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to see a body like this, lift up holy hands and sing praises to the Lord. It drives him crazy. I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't rebuke him, but I do go, nah, 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 sometimes. If the devil doesn't know your name, you have as much impact on Satan as a gnat on an elephant. You want to have an impact on Satan? Let him know your name. But declare Jesus as Lord first. Make sure Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and that's who you're standing in. Let me end here and read a beautiful passage of Scripture. 
Some of you probably can quote it with your eyes shut. Let me read it to you. It's in Ephesians, and it starts in chapter 6 and starts in verse 10. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Wow. Take the whole armor of God. He says, this is what it's for, so that you can stand. Remember our definition in Greek of resist? Stand. Stand firmly, steadfast, immovable knowing that your Father in heaven loves you and knows your name and has called you by that name and knowing that he has sent to us an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when Satan's up in heaven, and go back to Job and you see that Satan gets into heaven now and then, and when Satan's up in heaven and he's wandering around, then all of a sudden my name comes up and Satan goes, oh, that guy Dave down there, that guy down there, what a bozo. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? And Jesus says, wait. He's mine. Satan backs away. That's what you want. You want to stand firm in Jesus Christ because he is our armor. He is our truth. He is our righteousness. He is the gospel of peace. He's the one in which we put our faith in. He is our salvation. And he is the exact word of God. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. And that's who we trust in. Satan's going to come against you if you've made a profession of faith. If nothing's happening to you, if you're not being bombarded, I might have to question some things. I might have to say, hmm, what am I practicing? Hmm, what am I believing in? Does he know your name? I hope so. I hope he knows your name. But we know Jesus. We're associated with Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our Shepherd. He gave Himself for us. And in Him, we are overcomers. Amen? You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.